Hello, how's it, and welcome to 3-Bit Design, where we break down some of the most influential games into the three bits that we think defined them the most. I'm Tristan. I'm Oliver. And this is our excuse to talk game design to each other, because we don't do it in real life as much. Uh, some spoilers are ahead for the game we're talking about today, and the structure of which is a brief description on what the hell it is, and then we'll look at three areas of discussion or three topics, what we like to call three bits. Today, we're looking at Borderlands 2. The second. <laughs> There's always a moment when I say the name when I expect some <laughs> sort of pearl of wisdom from Oliver, and he never... Uh, Dos. <laughs> he never upsets. Uh, yeah, Oliver, I'm going to give a brief description. Are you happy for that? Right. Borderlands 2, <laughs> Deuce, is a 2012 first-person shooter. It's developed by Gearbox Software and it was published by 2K Games. Now, it took place five years following the events of Borderlands 1, which was released in 2009. The game is once again set on the planet of Pandora, following the story of a new group of Vault Hunters. The game features the ability to explore the in-game world and complete both main missions and optional side quests, either in offline split-screen, single-player, or online cooperative gameplay. The latter, the last one, is what Oliver and I did together when playing this game recently. Mm -hmm. Like its predecessor, the game features a procedurally generated loot system, which is capable of generating numerous combinations of weapons and other gear. Borderlands 2 was released for Microsoft Windows, PS3, Xbox 360 in 2012. It was later ported to PS4, Xbox One as part of something called the Handsome Collection. And this was in 2015. It, were, it had more than 20 million units sold and shipped upon release. And the game became 2K's most successful release, which I think is why you will find we are not looking at Borderlands 1, but Borderlands 2. It was nominated for multiple year-end accolades by several gaming publications, and the critics generally praised its visuals, the story, the writing, the gameplay, and online multiplayer, as well as, it has to be said, its variety of guns. But they did also criticize its mission design and content fillers, which I thought was interesting. Uh, and the last thing I have is like a, an Oliver tidbit that I'll throw in before an actual Oliver uh, <laughs> extra thing is... I found out that the dev team attempted to address player feedback from the first game, and so they recruited um, Anthony Birch, who wrote the game's script, which, and here's the fact, is seven times longer than that of the original game. Oh, wow. That's a big script. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. What do you make of that, Oliver? I was going to say, I think it's called The Handsome Collection, this remastered set because it's around handsome jack the character now is that character there in borderlands one or were they introduced in borderlands two do you know i'm not the right guy to ask <laughs> but i think <laughs> i would assume that's why it's called so because the handsome collection is it's the prequel and borderlands two rather than borderlands one and borderlands two Curious. because the prequel came out after borderlands two yes of course Yes, it's called it's called like the pre Borderlands the pre sequel or something. Oh yeah, they love just being <laughs> other. Good on them. No, that's great. Uh, so and, yeah, yeah. I was also going to say there is Borderlands two in VR as well. I didn't actually know that. <laughs> uh, yes, a good uh, Oliver tidbit. Um, have you seen gameplay of that at all? Have you tried playing it yourself? I have not, but uh, it's like 
it's like when they ported um, Skyrim and stuff to VR. I don't think, and I think Fallout Four is also in VR. I think those AAA VR ports are pretty much you still play with a controller, but you're seeing it in first person VR. Okay, so, so like you can turn not. your head and look around. Yeah, I think so. I don't think it'll be too interestingly renewing an experience. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, if there's no further Oliver additions, shall we move on to our very first bit? Let's! <laughs> <laughs> Bit number one is um, the co-op RPG first-person shooter ness of things. Um, so a key that's almost like the genre of the game. So it's quite broad, but we'll touch on some specific bits on what makes this interesting. So as you touched on already, it's a first-person shooter that can be played in co-op. I actually didn't know it could be played in split screen. That's interesting. Mm. Um, and so it's, it can be played with up to four players, um, but it can also be played as a single player experience. I think why it got the success it did at the time is largely due to this being a co-op first person shooter. There's not a lot of first person shooter games that enable this co-op play and it does some interesting things with it and also some things not quite with it which we will dive into on this bit. So first of all, the the game still plays pretty much as a single-player campaign, no matter how many players are playing. Mm-hmm. Um, the narrative doesn't change at all. The characters still address you like you're a single person. They, it, doesn't, it doesn't acknowledge that you're part of a bigger party. Um, the dialogue and texts are pretty much unaffected, similarly, and... It was interesting because in the opening scene, when we played together, um, you played with a slightly higher leveled character and I started with a fresh character. Mm-hmm. In the opening scene, after the train crashes, you can, and, and you're sort of the first sort of cinematic, uh, gameplay cinematic, where you're kind of like getting up from the ground as you recover from the crash. You can literally, I could literally see your character <laughs> just standing up next to me like as if nothing happened <laughs> i remember you saying this was happening and i was like really really and it just occurred to me i suppose that is because it might be tied to the leveling it might go i don't know if this mm. is true but i assume the way it's set up you know under the hood is that if you are level zero or whatever it is uh then do the thing but if you're not like they don't care so i guess yeah, if you played this with three other friends all three of them would be standing there. yeah i think they would yeah i think it's basically it triggered like a, a like a cinematic sequencer that kind of has the camera and hand movement but your character is still standing there mm. and so from your side you see that cinematic play out but if your player is standing next to it you're just standing up potentially that's my that's my little suspicion there mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so that sort of highlights that point. Um, also, the players follow the same quest line when you're playing in a party, um, which is a good thing, but it's also, it means you're kind of following or picking up where the party leader was with the story. So in our case, you had the higher level character, you'd already bun- done a bunch of those quests, but you were redoing them because it was my playthrough, pretty much. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and also, as a part of this, all is the cutscenes and the map jumps between traveling in between locations um, happen very abruptly when a single player initiates them. It's not there's no kind of like co-op, both activated trigger type of things going on there. It's very abrupt and um, still sort of like the single player experience would have been. Yeah, yeah, I hear what you're saying. It's like it, it's a it's an RPG, right? So there's a little bit mm -hmm. of role playing here because we've got these characters and they give you quests. And does that imply, through the way you've described the gameplay thus far, that the expectation of the game is that you experience a single story together cooperatively with your squad? Yeah, Do you think I think so? that's it. Yeah, I think it's a single player campaign, but do it with as many people as you like <laughs> mm. Mm. i'm, I'm trying of... to read into and this is maybe my own uh personal bias but i'm always mm. reading like D, D things into the world <laughs> like oh this is another moment where it's like dungeons and dragons and could i imagine what that's like yeah this is going on your adventure together and i have mm. my single story as part of this collective story and yet because of the, the mechanism of the game and the computer having to handle this world that would otherwise be in the imaginations of like five different people around a mm. table in Dungeons and Dragons, I guess there's a limitation to, well, they can only show you this one core story and that's really only going to be effective if everyone is at the same level experiencing it at the same time for the first time. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. And I think also because like every quest you trigger, I think it could have been cooler if side quests or such were more personalized or something. Yeah, because every quest you trigger in Borderlands Two, as a party, triggers for the whole party, or like every quest completion triggers for the whole party, things like that. Yeah, um, and there is no like everyone is experiencing the same chats and things like that. So, did there's you? No, there's no like side quest that only you get to do while the other players exploring over there or something. Which oh, I see cool. what you mean. Yeah, 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 yeah. Of like being in the shared world, but not necessarily the same core mm. story did you cool. i'm sorry i wanted to interrupt your flow of thoughts but i wanted to ask if you noticed this when we played when you're talking to a character apparently if you just grow impatient as a player and want to walk away you can and the conversation shifts to completing itself over the radio did yes that happen yes yes it yes, did yes. okay and okay, i think cool. that's pretty cool that's yeah. pretty cool oh it's a lovely <laughs> touch yeah 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 that's really nice it yeah it just starts to like go over the the intercom of your messaging sister system or whatever it's very yeah. cool allows you to sort of keep exploring and things but then at the same time the cuts are again very abrupt like if you then interact with another character you're supposed to talk to it will stop that previous dialogue and cont and, ah, like, I and see. take the next one which is a little bit uh disorienting and immerse immersion breaking as compared to something like god of war where everything all the inter-character interactions are very natural, flowing and such. I suppose the technology has advanced. <laughs> Good point. Um, so some more co-op RPG bits. Uh, the character classes. Um, so some some of the things that make... Now we're getting onto some of the things that make it interesting and encouraging to play as a co-op experience mm -hmm. rather than the things that are still set to be pretty much single player. Um, the character classes and appearances and skill trees play a big part in encouraging this co-op experience, I think. So when you first start the game, there is this cutscene of the Vault Hunters in a train 
and it's like a little cinematic introducing the characters one by one and each of the characters showcases their ultimate ability in this cutscene pretty much. Um, so that immediately sort of sets the scene with a little bit of narrative before that to sort of introduce these Vault Hunters to the scene. Um, and so they do a really good job at setting the stage there and introducing these characters. They all look very distinctly different. They're not, um, they're not like super curated player-made characters that you can customize yourself. You can customize a little bit. You can change the face and the color palette and such, but it's all presets. Um, and I think it worked so as opposed to other RPGs where you can often create your own with an advanced character customizer. Um, but I think it works very much in the favor in this case because there is such a because having the wide variety of appearances in the characters matched up with then their unique abilities that are showcased in this in this intro cinematic, you're um, you're kind of it's like a good variety of cast and you can attach to one of them that you think is most interesting and another player can attach to the other and you're kind of forming the crew that way and the crew is nice and, and varied as a result and both character experience will be slightly different. Um, so part of that is also so not just a distinct look but also uh, character traits like um, so there's like a quite a stumpy little tough guy um, compared to a, to the taller lady or something. Um, and the height, things like that would then have a height difference in that you can notice while you're playing the game. I, I, I started playing with the, with the stumpier um, buffed guy recently as the second playthrough and, and the camera angle is noticeably smaller, so you're kind of like small in the game. <laughs> ah, I was going to ask and you so if, if very, your yeah. first-person view is actually altered in some way. Yeah, yeah, it's, okay. it, you're lower down, so Interesting. that clearly sort of affects the experience and you're kind of more immersed in that character mm -hmm. in that way, which is cool. And also things like the grunts and the melee interactions are unique to each character. So the guy who was playing then, he was, he was very sort of like raw and roaring at everything. It was smashing and such. Whereas um, there are a few slightly more civilized characters and also less civilized characters on the scale. Um, cool, and part of that also what dives, what encourages the co-op experience is the guns, which we will also talk about in the next bit. But uh, I just wanted to touch on the elementalness, the elemental differences in the guns um, compared with uh, in the combination with the gun types, uh, such as the sniper and the submachine gun, assault rifle, uh, pistols and shotguns, um, having the that mixed with elemental types, which they have in the game, which are, you can have a regular type, which isn't anything special, but you also have elements like fire, shock, corrosive and slag, which can modify the type of um, the bullet effect of the gun. Uh, so and each of these elemental um, types have a special effect on enemies and are stronger against certain types of enemies and uh, weaker against others. So all of these aspects combined with the limited bag capacity a player has and the limited gun equipment slots. You have two slots to start with. And there's those four elemental types to think about. 
having a co-op party in that case is is great to be able to like divvy up the different elemental types perhaps uh, one of you takes fire one of you takes shock um, and that way you can work on each other's strengths if there is an enemy that comes up that's weak against fire then you then one of the players can focus on that enemy while the other one blasts the one that's weak against shock or so so it's always a nice uh, really balance together. when you can yeah use class that way i think mm -hmm. we spoke about that in the previous episode didn't we slay the spire yeah they, they that played also really well into classes um so that and then in combination with the gun type so one of you could focus on close range with shotguns and uh submachine guns while the other focuses on long range with snipers and assault rifles for example there's like all of these things to balance which is nice um, and also, the ammo runs out quite quickly if you focus too much on one ammo type, I found. So that also, again, encourages variety and maybe and encourages divvying up those gun, gun types so that one of you can focus on one ammo type and the other on another. So you can, because you can then also trade the ammo between each other and drop it for, for each other. See, now that, and that's the cooperative play quite Boom. clearly, isn't it? <laughs> drop that mic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and then I think also this 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 all brings out some emergent storytelling. If if half of your if some of you are playing with certain elements and the other with the others, then I think like the way you tackle or strategize around a specific battle or encounter will switch up the way you experience the game. I think and the way you're strategizing together, whereas the single player experience wouldn't quite have that depth to it. Yeah, I think. I know we, we have our, our certain feelings around this game personally, and I know we're looking at it, we're trying to distance ourselves from our own feeling of this game. But yeah, that very statement about the single player experience, that's how I played Borderlands 1 when it first came out. And I was like, oh, oh, yeah, how cool does this look? Oh, this is great. Love me a good FPS. And this is like narrative almost sort of RPG vibes. And I don't remember playing it too long, mm -hmm. but it definitely felt like I would have enjoyed it more if I had a team because I I so felt overwhelmed and like I didn't have as many uh, choices or options in a fight in the way you've described of saying, well, if you've got a team where one person has a thing that you don't, you can kind of liaise and work together. That's fun. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't experience that in the single player, at least of Borderlands 1. And I imagine it might be the same now. Yeah. And I think and I think it also helps with like repetitiveness and such, which, which you touched on where um, there was some criticism on on the quests and such, I think, I think having that co-op experience and where you're exploring the world together dims some of those lesser elements and sort of bring to the forefront the more experimental nature of playing together. Yeah. Uh, on that, I think it was Anthony Birch in a Polygon article that that spoke about his two-part solution to adding more story to the game without it becoming boring and that solution was to first make sure the story doesn't get in the way mm. and then second just to make sure it's interesting and i was like trying to understand like in part i think that works because i found that character we encountered the tiny tina that famous mm -hmm. character that was a very interesting encounter because i was like what is she saying <laughs> but then i also found it personally a bit messy sort of when I play co-op with friends and we're trying to talk and we're trying to be in the world and experience yeah. that emergent gameplay, when dialogue is forced upon you, 
you kind of talk over it and I feel like I'm missing it or then we all have to sit there in silence to receive the story for a bit. And I, I wonder how best to structure that as a designer. I'm not yet sure I know the answer. And I yeah, that's true. It happens here. I think much. we also, that's that's a similar point we touched on when we discussed It Takes Two in the other episode where yeah. where we also said how the cutscenes felt kind of out of, felt a little bit like it takes you out of the co-op experience. Yes, so it's, exactly It's hard that. to balance that. Yeah. I love that we're referencing previous episodes. <laughs> <laughs> the backlog is uh, coming to yeah. fruition. Yeah. Um, cool. And then some... Uh, some final things I wanted to add to this bit is some features that were more clearly, obviously designed for co-op. So um, part of a little bit on what I touched on with the limited bag capacity, um, the loot, all the loot in the world is only, is there only, so this mimics the single player experience where the loot in the world is only, only appears once that you don't see duplicates depending like each player doesn't have their own set of loot you both discover the same loot and you have to divvy it up that way um but interestingly most weapon finds uh feature a minimum of two weapons and up to four items mm -hmm. so that's kind of like rather than just presenting you the one gun I, when it's done a single player experience it's like it's a choice which one do you want to take or take both if you have the capacity, but when it's uh, when you're playing co-op in that case, it's it's a gun for each, which is quite nice. Which is which is why I reckon they had those multiple guns in there or multiple items. It's to allow for everyone to get something. Mm -hmm. um, cars, also the cars in the game. Um, the first car you you unlock starts with two spaces. There's one in the one driver seat space and one turret space. And they're like very different experiences being in the driver's seat or in the turret, which is kind of encourages that co-op play there. Um, you can also switch to the turret, which I've done in my single player playthrough. Uh, but it's very like you're not driving anymore and it's very... <laughs> I was about to <laughs> like say, what happens? one or the other, right? Yeah. Does, does the car slow <laughs> I just, down? I just stall and then I start shooting everyone <laughs> and then I keep going. <laughs> Interesting. It's not quite the same, yeah. No. Um, and then the second car you unlock... Uh, features four seats which the game very much emphasizes it pretty much says to you this one can host up to up to four of your friends or whatever it's like it's very much like now you should play with four people <laughs> <laughs> go get some friends um, <laughs> also the trading is a co-op only thing where yes. you can trade between players yeah. or duel which is a really cool thing it was like you can trade you can commence a trade and put items in or or currency in and then you can select accept trade or you can select duel in which you will duel for the for the items which uh, is quite cool we tested the trade i don't think we tested the duel because you gave me a yeah. head yeah, and yeah. i gave you a gun <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's cool I, I think it's a cool we didn't test it but i was like oh that's pretty cool do mm. i haven't seen that in a game before where you could duel for the items i think yeah. it fits very well with the style of the game yeah agreed um, and also there is class-specific augments you can find in the world, which um, are very much sort of co-op driven because uh, if you're not playing as the class that you got the item from, you might leave the item behind. But if one of your co-op buddies has that class, you would pick it up and trade it with him, for example. Um, and also the limited bag capacity in the game as a whole, I find, would makes for it to be nice to have a buddy so you don't need to... So you have like double the item space essentially. You know, you don't need to keep swapping stuff and throwing stuff away, which we found 
when we play together, the inventory management system is quite is not super. <laughs> it wasn't intuitive. It's a little bit, yeah, it's not super intuitive. Yeah, um, it was really complicated. I couldn't understand when to move yeah. things across, and for a and world that's so things. nice to look at, there's yeah, a lot of, like yeah, uh, there's a lot of swapping around and dropping uh, weirdness, mm. um, which I think if you have twice the inventory because you're playing with someone else, you won't have to access as much. Um, also, the game doesn't pause when you're in the inventory, which it does in single player. So oh. only in co-op, the game keeps going, even if you're in the inventory. Right, right. Um, and the enemies are balanced to, I think, the average of both players' levels, or it might be to the highest player. I'm not sure if we if we nail that down, but yeah, either way, yeah. it definitely seemed too tough for me when you were playing the higher level character. Yeah. Whereas it seemed quite easy for you. Yeah, it, it felt this. And the other way around when we yeah. switched characters as well. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely felt that. <laughs> um, so that's also sort of nicely curated for co op experience. Um, and I also find you could use the extra player as a distraction in a lot of cases. I found yes. when I was playing it solo, it becomes quite overwhelming sometimes when there's a lot of enemies coming out from all sides. And if you have the extra player that's kind of taking half the firepower. Or can distract the enemies while you're heal while you're trying to trying to find some health or something. Yeah, that but really if it's helps. just you, you are the only target. Then it's yeah. I found it it was quite rough in some places, and there is cover to hide behind, but it's not really designed for that. There's no like real cover interaction. It's just you just kind of crouch and find a space. Yeah, and it's not super. It's not really designed to do that. Um, and then finally, there's also. Um, the aspect of XP farming, it's a very much XP farming driven loot, sort of like loot and XP farming driven game. Um, and the game expects you to spend some time in the world to explore at your own pace and level up in the open world before tackling the next big story beat. I played a story beat where, it lit, where the sort of characters literally told me, I would recommend you, uh, you might want to like gear up and and gain gain a bit of strength before you tackle this. So mm. it was really encouraging me to sort of go out and, and do a little bit of exploring and um, XP farming, which isn't very fun on your own. And I think that could be a lot more fun in sort of co-op doing this exploring and, and XP yeah. farming, but definitely not, not so much designed for solo play, I find. Mm. Cool, that's a lot of rambling, a lot of points. Bravo. But that's my bit number one. Unless you have anything to add, we can... No, no. I, I was happy to interject on. when I did. Yes, let's uh, push on. That wraps up our bit on the co-op role-playing aspect. Yes. Very nice. Bit numero two. This is about the procedural loot shooter aspect of Borderlands 2. And I think I want to start with... A quote I found that I think will segue from our first bit to this bit, I think it kind of hopefully <laughs> fits in between both. Um, so I don't know if you know of this book. I may have mentioned it to you already, Oliver. It's called uh, Against World Building and Other Provocations. I do not know of it. It is by Alexis Kennedy, and it is essays on history, narrative, and game design. It's quite a nice read. It's mm -hmm. It collects his essays that I think he used to write on a blog um, or various blogs or, or websites because it kind of tells you, like the one I'm quoting from is an, an essay he wrote on fandom for the Eurogamer. 
back mm-hmm. in 2016. But to help segue here, it says, where Alexa says, video games are made of code, made of rules. They're mechanical, predictable, rational objects, but they permit a pure and delightful form of play, and they allow for other, more sophisticated and social forms of play still. They generate fandoms and cooperation and elaborate, ingenious, shared online enterprises. They're what you get when you plug undiluted nerdery into the human intellect. Heavy. <laughs> it's it's sometimes a little bit philosophical, but I really like the way he writes, and it just it felt like yeah. a nice segue to say, yeah, this is this um, cooperative RPG world that you play in that's all interesting. And now we look at a certain component of that, which is, mm. yeah, all that loot you said we pick up and we pick up all these different guns. Here's my bit. There is an expectation in first-person shooter games in that genre for there to be a variety of guns, right? You can't make a first-person shooter if there's only one type of gun. Part of that genre, the expectation is... I need to have a whole lot of interesting ways to use that mechanic to shoot the projectile, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Usually that's a taxing commitment when it comes to generating content for a studio, right? Sometimes these, um, well, this effort becomes iconic. I think of something like the grav gun in Half-Life 2, for example, or you have the myriad guns you get in something like Doom. Uh, Mm -hmm. But another way, Perhaps a good way, I think, to box smart, as it were, uh, is motivating the player with this seduction of the infinite, I think I'm calling it. And that's a way of using procedural generation to not only make your dev time uh, less or to make your developers work less on generating that content, on coming up with all these new guns and what they do and how they work, but then that also results in the player getting close to a limitless selection of guns or Mm. yeah gameplay essentially so making guns in borderlands modular procedurally combining these different parts to create wholly new guns is a design choice i think worth highlighting in this game and that is what bit two is about i don't really have much more to say than that is the thing that is interesting so this is the (laughs) statement i have is that weapons in borderlands 2 much like the previous game are generated using a procedural algorithm and that combines various parts to create an enormously large number of possible variations. And that increased emphasis on giving weapons produced by specific corporations defined kind of characteristics. So I think you mentioned earlier the different elemental damages that Mm -hmm. can spawn on a weapon. What they did for Borderlands 2 is started um, shifting these weapon types so you've got like your pistols your submachine guns your shotguns whatever uh, and those uh, that one weapon type can then be associated with different uh, components to a manufacturer and i think they gave them names like the maliwan the hyperion the the mm. torg the torgu i don't know how to say that uh, i've only ever writ uh, read it written um, but then they started saying well okay when you get a a procedural uh, mishmash of a gun that is going to use you know magic force force or or slag energy that's probably going to be x manufacturer for example they added that little bit of um, random association to a narrative to kind of 
closely tie the gameplay to the the story i thought which was interesting mm. but yeah the bottom line here this is not a long bit by any stretch of the imagination is really just to say one of the core interesting design choices for me for borderlands is this idea of the loot shooter i think they were one of the um sort of defining games in history that took this concept that was very much in a different genre and they merged that with the fps and said well okay we're going to give you all this loot and we're just going to randomize it and there you go go have some fun Mm -hmm. Uh, instead of structuring the content like i said before guns that you know hey this is a really cool gun in this game it's it's fun like the lightning gun in unreal tournament for example yeah yeah Uh, so yeah that's that's really all i had to say about it what else would you like to add oliver no i thought that was really interesting thanks Really interesting about the manufacturer. I didn't, I didn't, that didn't clock with me. That's quite interesting that they sort of like. It's true that they each gun was by a manufacturer, and they they try to s- slot that in quite nicely. That's cool. Um, I also, I think they set themselves like. I think I read that Borderlands One had something like seventeen point five million possibilities of guns. Absurd. 17.75 million. That's crazy. And then Borderlands 2 is a whole lot more. I don't think they ever counted. <laughs> Does that mean... But, but Borderlands 1 had had the record, and then Borderlands 2 topped it. And then I think in Borderlands 3... like It's such a selling point for the game that in the trailer for Borderlands 3, they were literally like, over 1 billion guns! <laughs> <laughs> and everyone went wild. It's crazy. It's like, it's like that No Man's Sky vibe, right? It's like... There are just yeah. billions of things you will never experience <laughs> at all. Yeah, it's it's definitely a key USP of the game, which is is quite interesting. I think I think they do a good job with it. I think they set themselves up very nicely to make these procedurally generated guns with the elemental abilities, because um, there is there you can have regular fire, shock, corrosive, slag. Then you can also have multipliers added to certain mm. factors of the gun, which is another sort of tweak um and as you said the manufacturer there's the different types um also um it's i i was thinking about it like it's basically like it's basically the outcome of like a super casual version of item crafting without needing item crafting right yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah like you don't need a crafting system it just gives you all of these possible combinations which mm. is quite cool um it's i also like wanted to point out it's just super great for replayability yes absolutely procedurally generated guns you there's guns you find in each playthrough that you didn't encounter the first time and such very cool um there just one little pain point i was i was watching a couple of like reviews from people and stuff um some a lot of people seem to sort of touch on that the because as a result of like a lot of this procedurally generated loot and guns, the loot can be quite inconsistent. Yeah. And that can result to like a bad player experience where you just spent an hour fighting a boss or something and then the boss gives worse loot than you find in a toilet or something. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it is the the downside of that randomness, right? Yeah. It's, it's It's the chaos that, I'm sorry to always. I feel like I do this in every episode. No, no, it's I, good. I like I like the back and forth. I always um. Well, yes, the back and forth is good, but I meant <laughs> the fact that I'm about to mention Dungeons and Dragons again. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
only because it's that chaos of like the roll of the dice that I really enjoy in those kinds of games that I appreciate in video games generally. Mm-hmm. Like being able to work on procedural generation uh, in like my day job is really interesting. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know, there's a part of it that fascinates me, but I think you're right. There's an, It's a different type of game design, isn't it? It's like you can't just yeah. leave it to the, the fate of the dice roll because you're going to get a toilet gun for example, mm-hmm. <laughs> in a point of the game where it doesn't make sense. So you've got to craft different, I don't know, parameters that show or, or listen to gameplay to go, all right, well, if the player's at this level or they've received X many guns, there's a likelihood that all of these kinds of combinations are null and void, so we can only use combinations from these types of guns, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, very good point, uh, sticking point to mention there. Yeah, I think like I think it will be, I think it's especially tricky to do to balance that when you're doing proc gen with with like weapons and and like interactive stuff because for example in Hades they do good generation of like a lot of roguelikes they do good generation of maps mm. but that is not like it's not a reward a map right yes yeah whereas the gun is the reward and if if your reward is generated and it's not what you want it to be, then it like it's more obviously a pain point than a bad draw of of levels in a map to be or something. It's like it feels a lot more personal and unlucky on your part when it's a reward than if it's the layout of a map, right? So mm. it's tricky. Yeah. Um, but yes, as a positive, they end up with like a gazillion guns. So that's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the payoff. That's totally better. <laughs> it's like we'll live with the toilet guns because we have a billion. No, nice. But you uh, can literally find guns in toilets in this game. It's quite cool. <laughs> I've now, I'm going to lock that so in my head. So much loot. So much loot everywhere. Um, I think we can move on to bit number three then. I agree. Our final bit is called A Feast for the Eyes, which is going to be tackling the visual feedback galore that this game offers. Um, I think, as we'll discuss, I think it's a lot of it is kind of on brand with the game because it's quite chaotic and <laughs> everyone's screaming and shouting and it's the apocalypse. Um, but there's also a lot going on and... Let's dive in. Um, so, in terms of what all the visual things that we observe is... So, first and foremost, the most obvious one I find is the on-hit damage indicators on the enemies. I think they do a really cool job there. I think yeah. it works really nicely. It's like very almost cartoon style, uh, where you when you shoot enemies, numbers fly off them... Um, they're very, the effects are very sort of customized depending on what you're shooting with and such. Um, they can be regular numbers. A big critical will fly up in the air if you're hitting a critical hit, which is cool. Um, there's also immune that can come up if if you're attacking with a certain type of element and it's not very effective against a certain. It's very much like the Pokemon elements. Super effective system, yeah. Um, 
and then also the numbers are colored to the type of elemental damage you're dealing so it's all it's very cool it all works together very nicely there mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and also the elemental damage is then doubly reflected visually on uh, the VFX and texture changes that happen on the enemy themselves like they catch fire or such um, also what we also can see is the enemy health and shield bars and their level when you when you're looking at an enemy or right. something that you can damage uh, which again fills in the screen the um, some enemies like robots also physically fall apart with more damage taken which is very cool um, and it's also clear when their shield or armor has worn down with those physical changes the enemy design in general, I found, is quite good in terms of highlighting weak points, which is cool. Um, like, for humanoid characters, it's most of the time heads, but there's also this big character with a big shield, for example. Um, his weak point is like a gap in the shield around the middle area. Oh. Um, it's very cool design there. Um, also, exposed bits of shell for crawlers and uh, for the robots. They have this red glaring eye which is, if you hit that mark, it's also critical, which is very sort of obviously pointing you that way, which is cool. Mm -hmm. And then the loot. So much visual satisfaction on the loot. <laughs> Even in toilets, as we said. Um, <laughs> all, the, all the items you find are colored by rarity, and there's like a clear emissive pillar of light that comes off of each item. To reflect this rarity, um, I think the rarest items are like pinkish or maybe even yellow. Um, but it starts as just regular white and changes color by rarity, which the rarity colors are very similar to rarity colors in all the games. I think I think like pretty much every game now adapts a similar rarity color scheme, which is yeah. Cool. I think there's a convention, <laughs> right? It's like yeah. purple is rare, <laughs> and then blue is like the uncommon. Yeah, and then I wonder. Like I wonder who, which game started that? But yeah, that's cool. we we will do a deep dive we at some point. Out. We should yeah. find or out. if anyone knows, <laughs> let us know. Yeah. Um. So those lights specifically, so like they're like, loot explodes out of everything. So when you're <laughs> that's so <laughs> <when> true. <laughs> so when you're killing a monster, the loot flies out. All the all the light highlights on each item fly out at you. Um. There's like. There's portaloos that you open, all the stuff flies out. There's toilets that open, the stuff flies out. There's cabinets, is always and everything always explodes at you, which is very I think that works very well for the game I find, and puts that emphasis on it being sort of like a loot, a looter shooter galore. Mm -hmm. um, also a hood a hood item pops up when you're approaching an item that you can pick up um, with the basic info so the rarity and such is then emphasized on there. It says what type of level you need to, to equip it, for example, or what class um, and w w the items where it's relevant, it will also say, it will another HUD item will pop up that says, that compares your current item to it and shows if it's improving or, or if the stats are better or worse which is very handy uh, for at a glance, but also it can get very cluttered in combination with all the HUD stuff, I find. Um, nice. There's a nice multi-collect functionality worth highlighting. 
if because there is so much loot everywhere in this game it can like it could easily become a drag to pick everything up one by one but they have a really nice feature where if you press and hold the collect button you collect everything in your near vicinity so if you've opened a bunch of drawers and such and there's loot in everything and you hold the button it will like grab everything that's available to grab that is a very nice mechanic i agree yeah. because in especially for someone like me that wants to like look in every nook and cranny of every space mm-hmm. um, in games like the last of us or something i find myself very tediously looking in every shelf and picking everything up one by one mm-hmm. but here it's it's a really nice mechanic that picks up everything in one go um other things loaded and animated heads up display so we have the xp bar at the bottom which is uh, shows your level and the XP you're at at the moment. When XP is gained, also quite interestingly, it appears in after you kill a monster, XP will appear in the middle of your screen, and then it like animates downwards onto that bar where it disappears, and then the bar fills up. It's I like always, right in your face, and yeah. then it moves. <laughs> I think it's so clever when designers have something in mm-hmm. world space move towards something in screen space yeah and then <laughs> you true. see the effect because you're like as a player you're putting it's the two things perfect. together right you're saying that thing has filled that bar i get it yeah i understand what the connection is they they really they really want to get stuff in your eye line in this game with through <laughs> animations and such um so that and then also the there is an ultimate charge icon at the bottom left of your screen um, above the health and shield bars. The ultimate charge item is the icon gets animated when you activate it, which is cool. Um, and then when it's not, when it's recharging, there's like some kind of loading loading up on the icon that happens. Um, and it, when you activate it, the HUD also gets an overlay that sort of fills the corners of the screen, which again, sort of like visually feeds back to the player that the ultimate is active. Different for each character, of course. Um, there's also a loud sound that plays when your ultimate is refilled. I found I it took me a while to realize what that sound was. I was like, oh, did, <laughs> like did I did I get a new task or something? Or but then I started to realize what it was, and so the sound plays, and then there's this little like crosshair that also pretty much appears in the middle of your screen, which then pans down to that icon of the ultimate before it like lights it up. Oh, whoa. As in, it's now recharged. So again, it like pulls the player's attention by starting in the middle, mm. middle of his field of view. Um, then there's also notification pings on that ultimate icon that indicates skill leveling available. That's like constantly pinging. It's a little bit annoying. It's all right. <laughs> there's also the health and shield bars, which I touched on. Um, they are <laughs> I also can't tell animated. If this is you saying like, these are all the things that overwhelm me. It started off going like, look at all these cool things that happen. And as you it's, list more and more, I'm like, oh this my is, gosh. This is gearing us up for the discussion of <laughs> is there too much going on or not? Uh, so there's the health and shield bars. Um, I think it does a lot of things with these things well. Hmm. But I also think there is a lot going on. And I think this will lead to a discussion of at what point is it too much and how much minimalism do we need and such. Yeah. Um, but... Regarding the health and shield bars, the shield bar design changes according to what special shield you're carrying. If you have like a spiky shield or a poisonous shield or a static emitting shield, they will be animated. 
it would be like a special overlay, which is quite cool. Uh, when you take shield damage, it's also reflected on your HUD with blue hex um, overlays. And then once your shield is down, there will be like an extra VFX explosion to indicate the shield is broken. It's all very clear. And the health and shield bar also pulse when they're especially low and start shaking. And then alert icons appear next to them when they're depleted. Um, the VF, there's also VFX overlays for when you're being affected by elemental damage, like when you're on fire or such. Um, the ammo bar pulses when you're um, low on ammo. And then there's also a reload input UI icon that appears in the middle of the screen with a little warning sign to say that you should reload. And um, there's also the minimap and tracked quests on the top right, as well as um, the occasional pop-up regarding challenge progression. Um, there's like these badass rank. This is a feature of the game. Mm -hmm. um, where you, which you constantly like do little challenges for which which progress and you can get like little perk boosts from that as well and that's constantly popping up on your screen as well to say like you've killed 50 enemies that <laughs> rank up it's sounding it's, like a lot like it's, just it's a lot this. it's a lot but then r surrounding that um, constantly so th those challenge progressions I do find it's quite a nice thing to indicate that you're always progressing in something. Mm. I think a lot of games struggle with like giving the feeling like there's a bit of a low point or not much is happening. Mm -hmm. But having this these challenges pop up do does feel like you're always advancing or doing something good. Um, and then other than the HUD elements, there's also a bunch of eye-catching elements in the actual physical world. So there's containers with the green lights, which indicate they can be opened for loot. There's green holographic shimmers on doors and quest items and such that you can interact with to further the quests. There's dark gaping spaces to indicate enemy spawns, like doorways and such with um, seemingly endless darkness inside of them. Um, elemental barrels also that you can explode by shooting them. And piles that you can break up that can have loot inside them as well with VFX coming off of them. Um, and I think these in-world things work quite well alongside the general color palettes in the game. I find a lot of the areas have one dominant color palette, uh, sort of focusing around one specific color, quite flat colors in the surrounding, uh, which then make these elements stand out, which works well, especially if you're always looking for loot in a game like this. So... The hectic, all this hecticness. <laughs> yeah. It, it, as I said, it kind of fits the world and the game because yeah, everything is kind of on fire and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and everyone shouting and such. But also, is it a little bit too much? Probably. Yeah, you've got to want that as a player. That's what you've got to want yeah. from a game. Well, this game, and that's okay. Yeah. There's things like, for example, the one I said about um, like danger signs in the middle of your screen when you need to reload. It's probably not necessary <laughs> these days. <laughs> I guess. There's like a couple of those things. I mean, this was 2012, we did say. That's true, that's you know, true. It's one of, the, one of the early ones. I really appreciate, I mean, this does sound like a feast for the eyes, but I right. really appreciate that in looking at the aesthetic of the game, 
you went to all these particular things. <laughs> um, like, really, because I, I'd originally thought to look at the conventional thing that catches us when we look at Borderlands, which is the art style, right? Oh, the, yeah. the aesthetic of the choice. But I'm so glad you, you moved away from that to look at all these other little choices that form part of that. I think that's great. Um, it's something that just stood out to me. I was like, so much going on. <laughs> yeah, that's no, great. Excellent. Yeah, thank you which so much is, yeah. for raising it. I think it, yeah, I think it plays, uh, it mostly plays well to the style of the game. Is like, yeah. it just play, feeds into the chaos of everything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, I think in modern games, more and more the games are moving away from clutter on the screen, right? And yeah, it's like in, in many things. Yeah, the minimalist, the, the cleanliness, the efficient Scandinavian furniture style. But it's always interesting to see where, where we've come from. Yes, yes indeed. Thank you for laying that track for us. Is that where we conclude bit number three? I think that is. Bravo! That brings us to the end of this three-bit design episode on Borderlands 2. And before we sign off, it's where I get to ask Oliver what he's playing when he's not playing Borderlands 2. What am I playing? <laughs> Excuse me. I um oh I picked up Signalis Signalis something yeah. like that from yeah. Game Pass. It's a um it's like a almost traditional survival horror style the sort of old school Resident Evil style game where you have the static camera angles. And it's but then it's that combined with cyberpunkiness and space, um, which I think it works really well. It's a super uh, atmospheric game. I'm really enjoying it. It's um, it's not too scary. It's it's more like survivally, um, and the sort of world building and such is is very well done. I think it's made by like predominantly a two person team in Germany, which is very cool. Oh wow. It's it's up there with my favorites from this year. Hey, well, thank you, sir. Boom. I mean, I, I take it as a recommendation. That's marvelous. Mm -hmm. um, I, strangely, have not been playing as much of the Xbox Game Pass stuff, and it's, it's irking me because I can see there's a lot of cool stuff there, and I really should make more time to play those games. What I did install very briefly and play just a short amount of for the same reason that was as we've spoken about in Borderlands here, where the single player is cool and fun, but I think it's really going to be so mm. much cooler when you can play it with friends, is Gunfire Reborn. I'm not sure Ooh, if you've I seen this. I haven't heard of that one. It's on the Game Pass. It's from, I think it's a Chinese developer. It's this roguelite first-person shooter that has a little bit of RPG elements, but you, you play as little animals. Like, <laughs> I'm a cat with a hat like a cowboy hat and I've got these cool guns and the gameplay is is fun it's like you know you're running through a dungeon almost like doom style but mm. I can imagine doing that with friends is going to be really cool and you know it's this roguelike thing where you if you die you have to start again and how far do you get can you get to the boss when you defeat the boss you get all these cool guns and every new gun you get is like a totally different way to be you know shooting and, and engaging with enemies and i I think I'm curious to see more of it. So maybe what I'm saying here, Oliver, is will you please play this game with me? Yeah, maybe I will. It looks quite cool. <laughs> it looks actually the art style in general looks a little bit Borderlandsy, right? <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's what's connecting me. Maybe I was like finding a way back to Borderlands. But it does look cool. Awesome. Uh, well, that is 
brought us to the end of this episode. Oliver, where can people get a hold of us if they would like to do so? Please come follow us on three bit at three bit design on Twitter, and you can find our personal Twitters respectively on there as well. I believe our personal Twitters, indeed. <laughs> thank you very much, sir. Thank you for uh, the chat. That was great. Thank you. And thank you very much for listening. Have a good time of your lives. Goodbye. Bye. Top class, top class. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha.